Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Tonight we come to Isaiah chapter 35, and I'm going to ask you to do something I don't have you do normally, and I want you to stand as we read the Word of God. There's only 10 verses in this chapter, and this chapter is tied to the last chapter in verse 17 where it says this, and they shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. In what? In what is the question? And the answer is the millennial kingdom of Christ. It's what comes in chapter 35. And so let me read this over you as a promise. The children of Israel would have realized this. And we, because we are God's children, grafted into the vine by his grace and through faith, look forward to that day when there's no more death. There's no more dying. There's no more injustice. There's no more racism. There's no more brutality. There's no more government because the government will be of his kingdom. There's no more voting. There's no more arguing. There is in his presence forevermore. Verse 1, Isaiah 35, and receive this. For yourself tonight, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. And even with joy in singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be unto it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of the Lord. And the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. For it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, 
with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen and amen and amen. Father, we look forward to that day. Lord, fall upon us. We, we need that joy even tonight. We need that peace tonight to fall upon us. Lord, to descend upon this country, upon this world which so desperately needs you, Jesus. Lord, we've come to study your word for you to speak to us as your children. We stand in awe of your presence, your majesty, Lord, fill this place. Fill our hearts with you. Overflow us, Lord, with your spirit. We ask these things in Christ's majestic name. Amen. Would you take your seats? You see, as you think on this passage, remember the steps that we followed as we've gone from chapter 33 and 34 and now on to 35. We saw this coming king, this lion king. We saw this deliverer. And now we see this deliverer deliver and bring finally the, the world into that place that, that God has wanted all along. If you're like me, when you think about sometimes Adam and Eve and that we all now have a sin nature because of their sin. And though our own sin belongs to us, the sin nature is part of every human being. What God intended to be perfect, man by his choices, against God's sovereign, uh, his glorious will, his will that he's given to us in his word, what he wants for us. We haven't actually wanted for ourselves. Instead, we've wanted sin. We've walked in darkness. We've shunned the light. Mankind has done that for thousands of years. And so as we get to Isaiah 35, we have these 10 verses that cause us to ask the question that's found there in 34, hidden in the rhetoric that's there, possess what? Dwell in what? The kingdom that is to come. Sometimes I get into discussions with people who have a different eschatology uh, than we have here at Calvary Chapel. You see, we happen to believe that one day the heavens are going to open and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord Jesus, snatched away, taken up by force, brought out of this world as a way to escape the wrath of God. But there are those that don't believe that will happen. They think that those passages are symbolic. They think that the kingdom is symbolic. That there is no millennial reign of Christ. There's no thousand years. And so tonight I want to set your eschatology in a place to where hopefully you'll understand why I believe so strongly that one day there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, and we're going to come back with him to rule and reign during that time. 
In order to do that, we have to turn to Revelation 20. So if you'd turn there, Revelation chapter 20. You see, as believers, there's really only two options. You're either going to finish out your race here on this earth and you're going to die of COVID-19 or something else. Heart disease, going to get run over by a bus. You're going to be out swimming and a great white shark is going to take you. But from God's perspective, that's your appointed time. And whether it's a heart attack or a shark attack, something's going to end your hours, your weeks, your months, your days on this earth. And the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, reminded us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that was not always the case until Jesus died on Calvary's cross and completed the new covenant. People lived under the old covenant. And so now, in that new covenant time, that age of grace, there is another option. And that option is the rapture of the church. We might all be out in the field one day, and all of a sudden, just exactly as Scripture says, with the shout, with the trumpet of the Lord, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And to that end, we'll all then be in heaven who have named the name of the Lord. Some one at a time as they've taken their last breath, and eventually the entire church, simultaneously, all that are saved in that moment will be taken up but only for a time. Why do I say that? Because the Bible plainly teaches that one day, the armies of heaven are coming back to this earth. Verse 1, Revelation 20. They're coming for a purpose, for a reason. First to fight a great battle called the Battle of Armageddon, and then to usher in the millennial reign of Christ. Now I want you to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we will take some chunks of it. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid a hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, if that was only said once, you might be able to say, well, it could be figurative. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up to seal him in so that he should deceive none of the nations till the thousand years are finished. But after these things, he will be released for a little while. And we'll get to this in a bit. And I'll give you a little preview. Because not everyone is going to be raptured. Not everyone will go to heaven when the church is snatched away. There will be people here who will refuse at that point in time to know the Lord. But they will come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. And they will still be here when Jesus comes again. We call them tribulation saints. The Bible plainly says, Revelation speaking to us that there would be the blood of the saints that's under the altar of God, beheaded for the cause of Christ. 
And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Why were they beheaded? Not because they took a COVID vaccine and somehow got the mark of the beast. For their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They had lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. If you read the rest of the chapter six times in one chapter, the exact same word is used, and it means a literal thousand years. Why is that important? Because probably some of you didn't get to live here on this earth in much of its glory that God intended. But one day, the king's coming back, and he's going to square it away. He's going to make this place what he intended, righteous and holy. He's going to redeem national Israel. Verse 6 says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That would be all believers that are currently alive or have been alive ever on the earth. And over such the second death has no power. Why would it say second death? Well, the rest of the chapter tells us. Because up to this point, no one has been permanently cast into hell. Those who have died without Christ are waiting in the same place they were waiting when Jesus took his last breath on this earth, Hades. That's why we use that axiom, born twice, die once, born once, die twice. Why is that? Because there is a second death, and it is way worse than the first one. The second death will have no power over those that were resurrected those that were taken to heaven, those that were snatched away by force. For when that thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So he gets one last go at mankind. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. In other words, holy was he who sat on that throne, so much so that earth itself couldn't gaze on his holiness. And the books were opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And death and Hades finally were delivered up, the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades, death and Hades itself, will one day be snatched up from its current place and cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. So this paints a picture of this period of a thousand years that Jesus will reign on this earth and the saints will come back from heaven. And those that hold a view different than that typically are called amillennialists. They believe that there is a in the, the not prefix, awe, no millennium. But basically Christ is in your heart right now and that's all that really matters. I don't know why Satan would be bound 
for a thousand years and then finally released if this was all symbolic. If there wasn't a real releasing into a real world that had really seen Jesus rule and reign for a thousand years. Because right now I can tell you this, Jesus is here in our hearts, but I think there's a few things going on in the world that are not from Jesus. Amen? So the kingdom is here in that sense that it's in you, it's in every believer. As we gather as the church, sometimes it's shown in the church itself. And so the question becomes, is this a literal thousand years? Well, I think the six times in 15 verses, once every two and a half verses, really kind of nails it for me. But I also see it as prophetic. Because throughout Scripture, we're told that one day the Messiah is going to rule and reign from the throne of David. That one day there will be a literal throne. There's going to be a literal kingdom. There's going to be a literal temple on the Temple Mount. And today there is no temple. There was no temple 70 years Basically, 35 and a half years after Jesus died on the cross, the temple was destroyed. There's no temple. There's no place for the Antichrist to cause the world to worship him. But your Bible, there was a promise made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it was a promise to David. In verse 12 there, it says, When your days are fulfilled... And you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Who's in the lineage of David? Jesus. Who will come from your body? Where did Jesus come from? He is of David's lineage. And I will establish his kingdom. Whose kingdom? Jesus. Has there been a kingdom on this earth that was established with a real throne since Jesus was here the first time? The answer is no. And so this promise that was made has not been yet fulfilled. And I shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. How long is forever, church? It's forever. So if it didn't exist when Messiah came... That's the extension of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Passed along through the lineage of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, will one day have to sit on the throne of David. The throne of David was gone for a thousand years when Jesus was here. And it still doesn't exist. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Notice verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, and your throne will be established forever. It's speaking of a real reign of a real king. Israel has not had that in the better part of 3,000 years. So what's the Bible trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that there's another kingdom that is to come. There's another rule and another king. And so that 
Lion King we saw, that deliverer we saw, this kingdom that we just pronounced over ourselves because you're going to be there with them, is the kingdom of the king. It's going to be right here on this earth for the first thousand years before the Lord finally says, you know what, let's make us a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. But there will come a time when the Antichrist, the false prophet, just like Revelation 20 says, along with death and Hades itself, the abode of the dead where currently reside everyone who has died without knowing the king, without knowing the Lord. And so this is God's way of dealing with all of this that we see as, well, how did he make all of these things equal? All these people that died before Jesus came, these people that don't know the Lord when he comes, but they survive, what happens? This is God making everything right. It's imbalancing all of the scales that we see as weighted one way versus another way. And it's absolutely true that Satan was defeated on the cross. But God's kingdom is sitting in abeyance right now. We, we don't see the full kingdom here on this earth. If you want proof of that, all you got to do is pick up your phone and look at your news feed. If everything that you see on that phone is righteousness, let me know about it. It's not. The king has chosen to issue grace to this world to give people an opportunity to be saved, to give their life to the king. And while he does that, he's standing back from his final justice and judgment. He's saying, I'm not going to pour out my wrath. I could, and eventually I will, but I'm not going to. I love mankind too much. I do desire that all men be saved. Come to the knowledge of repentance. And so God is waiting right now. But make no mistake about it, and I hope that this solicits somebody to say, Amen, Satan's days are limited and they're numbered. Amen? He's not going to have the sway he has right now forever. He's not going to convince another person to take their own life. Not one more child will be molested. There won't be another orphan. There'll be no sickness and no disease. When King Jesus comes back, Satan's rule and reign will be over, though he will be released one last time. And that's for a very specific purpose. You see, God created hell for Satan and his angels. God never, ever, ever intended a single human being to end up there. But in order for our choices to matter, our love to be real, there has to also be really something for us to choose and really something different that you're going to get if you choose wrongly. People sometimes, they over-spiritualize this, you know, to, to, the, to the extent that they take the simplicity out of it. It's really simple. If you don't have anything to choose, then God made the choice for you. And that makes God the author of evil, and then he simply is condemning certain people to hell simply because he can. And so 
every human being is born with an opportunity to choose who they will serve, whether they will walk with the king, whether they will commit their life to Christ or not. And there is a real place that you're going to go if you do not choose Jesus. If there wasn't, then God would just be messing with us. He'd just be going, well, you know, we'll tell them a story and they'll do something. No, God's told us the truth. And Scripture says, choose life. Choose Christ. Love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. For in this is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It is the greatest command. How does that happen? By giving your life to the king. And that king's coming back. You see, Satan right now has sway over the earth. That's why Peter in 1 Peter 5 says, be sober. The contrast there is not intoxicated. And it doesn't necessarily mean with alcohol or drugs. Intoxicated with this world would be a way to look at it. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him and be steadfast in the faith. We would not have that admonition if there weren't a real enemy that we need to really resist. But there is a real enemy, and you really need to choose Jesus. Because if you don't, you've chosen by default to live with the nature that was in you at birth, which is your sin nature. The wages of sin is, but the free gift of God is eternal. There's your choice. It's real simple, A or B. One or two, saints or ain'ts. In or out, saved or dead. There's no purgatory, there's no waiting, there's no making a choice, no getting prayed out of hell. You make the choice while you're alive to serve the king or not serve the king. Satan's still on the prowl. And you see people look at it and go, well, I haven't seen him. I, I read an article, and it was published by a group of doctors at the Good Samaritan Regional Medical Center in Phoenix. And as you might imagine, they have a few rattlesnake bites there every year. Oddly enough, about 30% of them happen from decapitated rattlesnakes. And here's why. People think that because the head is off the snake, that the snake can no longer bite, so they mess with the head. While they're messing with the head, they figured out that that head actually has reflex action that can continue for as much as an hour. So while they're thinking the snake is dead, while people think that Satan is not active in this world, they think that Christ has won the war, so we're all good, don't worry about it. Satan can still bite you. His head was cut off at Calvary. It's detached from his body, if you want to look at it that way. But it's still biting people. Church. We read of a group of people here in Revelation 20 that gave their lives. They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God. That same group of people, you find them in Revelation 6, by the way. These souls that are under the altar that have come to Christ during the tribulation, 
They're, they're, they're going to be martyred. They're going to go straight to heaven. They're going to be right there with us when we come back. But there are going to be people that manage to survive. That won't be martyred, but will be saved. Will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 144,000 of them at least are going to be Jews. They're going to be wandering around telling people about the Messiah. Now, I don't know how many of you have Jewish friends, but I can tell you when they get excited about something, when they lay hold of something, when, when the Jewish people grab something, they grab it with everything. Now imagine they have grabbed Messiah the King. And they're wandering around the earth just telling everybody about Jesus. Well, all this craziness is going on. But all those that have died throughout time are right now tonight in the exact same place that they were when Jesus in Luke 16 gave us the parable of the rich man. In Luke 16, verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, he fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. This guy was literally, picture it this way, it'll help you a little bit. Here's a homeless guy sitting outside the Kardashian compound begging, covered with sores. And nobody stops. Nobody cares. Drive past him every day, same guy. Not harming anybody. Toss him a 20, he could live for two weeks. Nothing happens. Rich man, poor man, one with everything, one with nothing. And so it was that the beggar died. And was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, being in torments and in Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now I want you to notice what follows in the next three verses. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send the poor beggar that had nothing in life. I had everything. What am I doing over here? Couldn't my riches buy me out of where I am, my situation? That he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented by this flame. But Abraham said, Son... Remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things and now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now notice they can see each other. One knows where the other is. Besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass there to us. 
that clearly gives a picture of two compartments, one called Abraham's bosom, paradise, and the other Hades. But they can see each other. Why is that important? Because that place, until the resurrection of Christ, was where everybody went. Everybody went there. One place or the other place of the same place. It's like for those of you that had the opportunity to go to Staples Center. You can be down there in the lower bowl or you can be up there in the rafters. Same building, two very different places, amen? Down the lower bowl, there's people serving you hand and foot and you, get, you ask for whatever you want. You stop to pay for it, it's still $5,000 for nachos. But there's the good seats and the not so good seats. Same thing with this place. You see, Messiah took care of that. There was a covenant made with Abraham, and the Messiah was the testator of that covenant, the one who would testify, this is true, I'm going to take care of it. And according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, before Jesus ascended, he first descended. That passage says he set captivity free. He emptied out Abraham's bosom. But the book of Revelation says that that other place is still very full of a whole lot of souls, and they are awaiting a second death. Why am I saying that? Because it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 could say, I'm confident and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. You see, one day the Lord is going to finish up this age of grace. One day there's going to be no more opportunity to be saved. One day the final person is going to say yes to Jesus. The Antichrist will reveal himself. There's going to be seven years of hell on earth. And then the Redeemer is going to come. There will be people saved. There will be people left here on earth that gave their life to Jesus that weren't killed, but many will die for their faith. That's going to be the end of the age. This is where your eschatology becomes very important in how you live today. You see, I recognize time is short. Only if time is short for me, it's still short. But if we're getting out, as I believe we are, to the end of this timeline, it might be short for the whole world tonight. It could be that that trumpet's going to sound tonight. You might not make it home from this service. That's the truth. Now, I can't tell you that for sure I heard from God and he's going to rapture the church tonight, but I can tell you this, there's nothing left to happen in all of God's prophetic word to the church that needs to still occur for the church to be taken home. Nothing. One day the age of grace is going to be over. It's going to be done. And the question is, will you be part of that resurrection that's talked about here? The first one. 
Because that first resurrection had four parts. So you're either going to be in Sheol, or you're going to be part of that first resurrection. You're either going to be part of the Messiah's kingdom, and you're going to come back with him, or you're going to be here on this earth, going through literal hell, in order to receive the same gospel and the same salvation you could receive tonight by simply professing Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know why anyone would choose that. I don't know why someone would delay. It certainly couldn't be for some relationship that isn't God's will. It couldn't be for drugs or alcohol. It couldn't be for money. If it is, then I have pity for your soul. Because if you'll trade eternity with Christ for a few things, you're making the wrong choice. You're making the wrong choice. You see, you can choose eternal life or you can choose eternal death. That's the choice while you still have breath. Because there is a kingdom that's going to come. His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do you think the Lord's Prayer says on earth as it is in heaven? Because surely the Lord's will on earth today, his decretive will, the will that he has decreed, purposed, given us in his word, has certainly not occurred in its fullness. A little bit in you, a little bit in me, a little bit in the church throughout time. But nobody's pounding plows into, or swords into plowshares tonight. The world is more unhinged than it's really ever been. We're in the midst of one of the most contentious, the most contentious presidential election that I've seen in my lifetime. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking forward to heaven. Amen? Now that doesn't make me weird. You know, some of people say, well, oh, you're one of those guys, you're going to go to heaven. Yep. Sorry you don't want to go to heaven. But I want to go to heaven. I think for some of us tonight, we're looking forward to that day when there's no more racism. We're looking forward to that day when there's no more violence on our streets. We're looking forward to that day when we can serve the Lord without being ridiculed. We're looking forward to that day when there's no more hunger, there's no more poverty. We're looking forward to that day when no child suffers. You see, the only thing that's going to solve that is going to heaven. You can't fix that problem with government. That's why I've been a little flabbergasted at the response of parts of the church. There is no earthly solution to what ails mankind. Let me be really clear. There's no earthly solution to what actually ails mankind. There is a heavenly solution. His name is Jesus. Amen? Now, we want to, to, to vote and have our votes count, and all those kind of things. We want to vote for godly rulers, and we want to have the best government we can, but the best government 
will never be Jesus. We are blessed like no other nation on earth. Make no mistake. And the freedoms we have are not free. What we enjoy, no other nation on earth enjoys. Let me be very clear. And a vast majority of those that are under 30 have not had to fight for this. It's just been a gift. And we need to be supremely thankful for our way of life and our government and all those kind of things. For our military, for our police officers. I want to say something. Look, we have almost a million police officers in this nation. And a vast majority of them are wonderful people. My brother and three of my nephews are in law enforcement. They're not all evil. Very few of them would fall in that category. And so it's not just a policing issue. It's a heart issue with man. All men. All men. We were all created in the image of God, and we all have the same choice to make, whether to follow that sin nature or follow Christ. And until the whole world finds Jesus, we're going to have what we got. Because men love darkness. That's what Jesus said, rather than the light. Men still want to do what they want to do, rather than do what's right for the other person. At the end of this thousand years, the 144,000 Jews are going around as evangelists. They're going to live out life in their mortal bodies in conditions that I believe the Bible says are pretty close to Eden. So for a thousand years, you might say we're going to kind of get heaven on earth a little bit. But verse 7 says something interesting back in Revelation 20. And now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Why in the world would God do that? You know, as a young believer, I read that, and I'm like, that's just dumb. You know, I, I guess that's blasphemy, but it, 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 and I don't mean it that way, but I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, when you read that, it's like, look, he's locked up, leave him there. It's like, what's wrong with you? And then I started thinking about it. I prayed about it. I said, Lord, you, you need to tell me why you would do this. Well, because of all those people that were born on this earth. They're going to have a thousand years with no sin. You're going to have to be righteous. You're going to wander around. Essentially, you could fake, if you want, not God, but you, you won't be able to sin. You're going to live out your lives. You're going to marry. You're going to have children. And here's how good God is. Everyone is going to go to heaven because they chose to go there or be in hell because they chose to go there. You have to choose. And so because God is 100% sovereign and 100% righteous and 100% just, he's not kind of sort of a little just with some people and really just with others. He's 100% just. He's going to release Satan to have one last go at those that were born during the tribulation. 
those that survived through the tribulation. And they are going to have to choose this day whom they will serve. One more time. But the story doesn't end there. The story ends with Jesus grabbing the serpent by the neck and cramming him eternally into the lake of fire. Amen? That's where the story of Satan ends. Never again to tempt, never again to test, never again to torture. But until that time comes, he's going to be tempting, testing, and torturing. That's what he does. That is to cause us to come to that place where we make that decision. It's like, do you want what you got? Or do you want heaven? Do you want to risk? You know, because I have people say, well, hell's not real. And I'll look at them usually, I'll say something to the effect, are you willing to bet your eternity on that statement? Because I'm not. If there's even the slightest chance that the hell of Scripture exists, I don't want anybody to go there, including my enemies. I certainly don't want to go there myself. And so what we have during this time is these radical changes that Jesus was talking about when he preached about the kingdom, when he taught and promised the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament believers. Here's these things that he said. He said, he, in the Sermon of the Mount, he gave them the principles of the kingdom, right? And now what he said? And the kingdom of God is like. That's how the parables begin. Similes. It is like this. A field, a sower went out to sow. What happened? Well, there were some that didn't make it, amen? They dried up. You see, those things are all pictures of the kingdom to come. The aspects of the kingdom, the future things, what will happen. As the disciples asked him, well, what are the signs of your coming? Remember what he said? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. Why would Jesus say that? In the midst of preaching about the kingdom? Because you have to make a choice whether you want to be in his kingdom or the enemy's kingdom. So what were the conditions before Noah hopped onto the ark with his family? The heart of man was continually evil. Wicked. During that millennial reign of Christ, the kingdom is going to be demonstrated. God's going to say, this is what it's going to look like when we have a new heaven and a new earth. Because it's not like the old one. It's a brand new one. I can't even fathom what heaven's going to be like. Sometimes I try, you know, we're, we all kind of anthropomorphize heaven most of the time. In other words, we give it characteristics that we can think about because we're human beings and we assign things. Like, I, I always joke with our, you know, we're going to go fishing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to use four-pound line and catch a blue whale or something, but I can't kill it because there's no death, and so I'll just talk to the whale and then let it go. I don't know. You've always asked me, well, what's heaven? I don't know. The Bible doesn't actually say that much about heaven. It gives us little glimpses. But I know this. God says one day he is going to send Jesus back 
to square away all the junk that's overtaken our world. That's why I read that over you as a blessing. Anybody want no death? Anybody want no dying? Anybody want no suffering? Anybody want no disease? No injustice? No violence? Anybody up for that? That's the kingdom, family. That's the kingdom. So stop trying to put your trust in this world. That's why Jesus said, you are not of this world. We're of a different world, a different kingdom. It's going to be established finally in Revelation 21 and 22 when there's a new heaven and a new earth in its totality. God's going to come back. He's going to change the, the geography of earth. He's going to change the ecology of earth. He's going to, you know, everybody's, and, and look, I am actually for all of the things that we can do to make our climate better. I like clean water. I hate the fact that we've polluted our forests. I, I can't stand trash. I am that person that when I see it, I'm like, I wonder who threw that there. I'm going to mail this to him. I'm that person. I was a rabid ecologist when I was in high school and college. So I, I look at things. I went to the very first Earth Day. So don't talk to me about climate change. I was there before you. But you know what? We're never going to fix what ails this earth. Not with human means. Because this earth has a date stamp on it. And the king is going to come back and he's going to make it over. And it's going to be way better than we could do with all of the solar power and wind-generated energy that you can possibly imagine. It's not going to be you altering your carbon footprint that's going to save this earth. It's going to be Jesus coming again. Amen? Amen. We want to do what we can to be good stewards. But you know what? It isn't whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. It's whether Jesus is Lord. It's not whether you're a conservative or a liberal or a progressive. It is Jesus Lord. It's not who we've got in the White House. It's does the King reign in heaven and in your life. That's why we're concerned with what the Word says, not what our Constitution says. I love our Constitution. But our Constitution does not provide for your salvation. Can I just tell you that? It provides for some freedoms and some protections, some guarantees, and they're unlike any other country on earth, and they're wonderful. But the Constitution can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. No matter how much heaven we have on this earth, it won't be heaven on earth until Jesus makes it so. So don't put your hope and trust in the wrong things. Vote for godly rulers. Pray for our leaders. Do justice and love mercy. Take care of the poor and the indigent. God hates injustice. Do just things. Be good and godly. But this promise that we were given in chapter 35 is the promise of a kingdom that's still to come. That's when the wilderness 
and the wasteland becomes glad. That's when the excellence of Carmel and Sharon, when you travel to Israel, when you go on top of Mount Carmel and you stare down at the Jezreel Valley and you see the plains of Sharon completely adorned in wildflowers, you go, yeah, that would be a whole lot better than the asphalt jungle of L.A., Strength and weak hands. There's a lot of weak hands in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of poverty in our world, isn't there? I want the vengeance of God and the recompense of God. No, no country can take care of that. We can't even agree on, on what we should do with where we should fish in our oceans. The glorious restoration of God is what you see in this passage. No more deafness, no more blindness, no more dumbness. Everyone will be able to talk and people will love one another as we're supposed to. There won't be any uncleanness. Now, I don't know about you, but the 405 is not the highway of holiness. The 91 is El Camino del Diablo. It's the highway of Satan. The devil drives that. Even with COVID, it's still bumper to bumper. I think the Lord's actually using this pandemic to strengthen the church. Amen? I do. I think he's using it to strengthen the church. Can't a sovereign God use pandemics? We've been studying how he used Assyria. He used Babylon. He's used wars. He's used other pandemics. I got into what I would say a spirited discussion with a young man who needs to get a little older before he consults me again. Notice I didn't say insults, I said consults. He said, well, this is the first pandemic in American history. I said, really? Where did you study history? You familiar with a thing called smallpox? And so I rolled up my sleeve. I said, you see that right there? That's called a smallpox vaccination. You know why that is? Because we had a smallpox pandemic. Wiped out 50 million people. God uses all kinds of things in our lives, doesn't he? We need to look to heaven. The millennial reign of Christ. The new heaven, the new earth, and new bodies suited for that environment. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray. Tonight, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, the gospel is monumentally simple. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There is no other name under heaven. You just simply need to invite the king to come into your life and forgive your sin. Take up residence as Lord and you'll be saved. So if you need to pray that prayer, once you do, tell somebody before you leave. Say, hey, I, I prayed to receive Christ tonight. While Pastor Jeff was praying, I, I prayed in my heart to receive him. I, I changed. 
and we'll give you some materials and give you a couple of web addresses and answer any questions you have. For the rest of us, let's put our hope where it belongs. And it's not here. It's in the kingdom to come and the king that will be coming. Father, we thank you for the power of your word to encourage and strengthen us. And Lord, we do look forward to that day when the heavens open up and we're taken up to be with you forever. We look forward to the church going home. But before our home going, there are so many people that we know that need to know you. And so we pray tonight if there's anyone here or watching online or watches this video later and they have yet to invite you, Jesus, to come into their life personally, to ask you to forgive their sin, take up residence as their Lord, to be master of their lives. Lord, that they would just simply say, Jesus, I accept you by faith tonight. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for me. And I'm giving my life to you. Forgive my sin. Write my name in that book that one day will be opened. The book of life. So Lord, we thank you for the promise of heaven. The millennial reign. Those thousand years of being on this earth. Before you give us a new one. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the name of the Savior Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.